Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. So maybe you came in here today and your week was just brutal. Maybe you came in here today and your, uh, your marriage is just on the rocks. Maybe you came in here today and your heart is broken, you've lost a loved one. Maybe, maybe you've come in here today and you're just lonely. Maybe you just come in here today and you're just thinking, I, I, I'm tired of having to swim upstream. I feel like I have to fight for everything. Listen to what the words of that, that song said. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. That's who he is. And eventually the song comes around, but he's who I am. He, he wants to live in us. He, he wants to be a good, good father to you. I was blessed. I, I had a dad who loved me. I am, an, I am as imperfect a dad as my dad was to me. But I knew my dad loved me. I knew there were times where the, the place that I was protected most was my dad. And when my dad drew his last breath, I mean, dad died the way I, I would love to die. Dad, dad had a bowl of ice cream, sat down in his favorite chair and stopped breathing. And you know, my guess is he finished the bowl of ice cream in heaven and said, this is really good, y'all. Anybody got peanuts? I mean, dad was just that kind of guy. But you know what? There are times I'd like to get in my car at the end of a day and I'd give anything I have to have one more phone call with my dad. And the beautiful thing is that when God promises he's a good, good father, he's saying, I'm not just on speed dial. I'm always there and the line is always open. And then we came to the second one, the second song. And the second song talks so much about how God the Father loves us so much that in spite of everything we've ever done, all the selfish, all the stupid, all the sinful, all the stuff that just, man, you just wouldn't want everybody to know about all that stuff. And God the Father says, I've got a solution for you. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to take the punishment that we deserve and die on a cross and give his life that we might have life and raise from the dead three days later to go to a place called heaven to prepare the place for all those who believe. And I look at that and I say, that's why we sing those songs. Because it brings us to the message of the cross that says, no matter what you've done, you can't make God not love you. And I think there are times we need to be reminded that he's a good, good Abba Father who wants to reach down. And I remember when my girls were little, I've, I've heard Hector use this analogy with his boys, but I remember when my girls were little, when I got home, man, I'd walk in, their arms were just like this. Da-da. You know, they don't do that anymore. They're all grown. And, but I still remember it, don't you? And I think, the, I think the Father wants us to come to him with our arms outstretched and say, Dad, pick us up, hold us. Make things right. Fix this. Which brings us to today's teaching. We're in the second week of You Are Here. You know, if I get in my car and I pull my phone out and I start plugging in the address of where I need to go, the first thing the, car, the, first thing the phone has to do is figure out where I'm at. When the car figures out where I'm at, 
then it can give me directions to where I'm going. But if the car never figures out where I'm at, then I'm in trouble because it's trying to send me someplace without the right directions. I mean, I've got to figure that out. You are here. When we figure out where we are, then we can find direction on how we go to where we're supposed to go. God is in the business of moving. Now, over the past week and a half, Jenny and I have been moving houses. Could I just say, that is just the worst thing ever. I mean, every time I move, you know what I think? I'm never doing this again. Every time I move, you know what I say? We are never gonna have this much junk again. Every time I move, you know what I find out? I lied to myself. I mean, seriously, how, how much junk do we have? I mean, seriously, think of all the stuff. If you had to move today, just how awful that is. Now, there's a handful of you that are just like, oh, you got it all together. You're so structured, you've got that right. Y'all make us sick, all right? I mean, that's just ridiculous. When we started moving, it was just a zoo. And now we're all in, we're kind of settled somewhat, but you still have that uneasy feeling because you know where we are, but we know where we're going. In the book of Daniel, we find this unbelievable series of events that occur that helps us know that not only we, where we are and where we're going, but who gets us there. So take your Bibles, if you will, and find the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. We'll be in the second chapter today, and we're talking about a story that happens. And you're, you might remember if you were here last week, Bobby kicked off our series, you were here, and he started the teaching about how King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of this, this kingdom, Babylon, who has taken these refugees and he's pulled them from Judah and brought them in to be slaves, to be servants. And then he pulls a few of them, Daniel and his buddies being a part of them because they're sharp, they're bright, they're good looking. And he has kind of set up a cabinet position for all these groups to tell them what he wants to hear. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is a bit of a narcissist. Nebuchadnezzar is a bit of a whacked out dude. And, and so he believes it's all about him. And so he creates this country and he creates this entire kingdom all about him. Everything is about him. And Nebuchadnezzar has decided that he doesn't need God, doesn't want God. There's no room for God. And if you're hearing me say this, whether you're watching online or in this room, then you're beginning to start drawing the lines between Babylon and America. You're beginning to see that, wait a minute, that sounds a lot like the kingdom I live in. Because what, what Nebuchadnezzar was doing was he was literally pulling God out of everything he could pull God out of. He pulled out every bit of decency, every bit of morality. He pulled out everything or anything that portrayed to living for God. And what had happened was all these people that were captives that he had brought in, they had just gotten their faith beaten out of them. And so what happened was they chose to go along to get along. And so the folks from Judah had come along and under this captivity and in this kingdom, they have literally given up their faith. Faith has been pulled from them and their future's been pulled from them. They have no hope. They are stuck in a kingdom. And then King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Now, I don't think it was a bad burrito dream. I don't think it was too much NyQuil dream. I think he has a dream that really is gonna change the course of history. But he has a dream, and in part of his cabinet that he's created, he's created these czars that are designed to tell him what's going on. So he has this dream and he brings the boys together and he says, guys, I had this horrible dream. It was terrible. I need you to de describe to me what was that dream. And so he's got all these guys who were there to tell him what he wants to hear. They're yes men. He has zero accountability. And this is where powers run totally corrupt. The, 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 the nation is completely dis dis disregarded anything of morality and decency and godliness. 
And so he says, tell me what this dream means. So the guys kind of look at each other and they look at King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, well, tell you what, you tell us what the dream was and then we'll tell you what it means. Well, Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy berserk. I mean, he goes bat crazy on him. And he says, listen, if you don't tell me what the dream was, you can't interpret it. So you've got to tell me that. And then he throws this challenge down. If you can't do it, I'm going to have you killed. And the Bible says literally torn limb from limb. He's going to destroy him if you don't kill him. Suddenly urgency has hit this issue. All right, now I want you to notice one big overarching story that's happening within this story. All right, if you're taking notes, you may want to jot this down. This is realizing how to live for the king in a kingdom that forgot the king. How do I live for a king in a kingdom that forgot who's the king? You see, when I think about America today, I think to myself, boy, from our founders to today, we have come a long way backward, haven't we? from who we are as a country and decency and morality and honesty and forthrightness and being able to put, put together and say it is about religious freedom for sure. But the fact of the matter is when I look at our nation, I think to myself, we are in a mess. How did we get in the mess? Same way that they did in Babylon. We reached in and we allowed God to be pulled from our faith and our heritage and our roots. As a result, we had nothing to lean on when things got difficult. And so Babylon and America are looking at each other and we find this great challenge. But here's a good thing. If it wasn't a challenge, it wouldn't change us. So these guys who are supposed to interpret the dream, they come to Daniel and say, Daniel, dude, we are in a mess. We need some help. Now remember, Daniel is a spiritual refugee. Daniel is a, is a fugitive that's being held in this captive country. And they've come to Daniel for help. In short, Daniel is living in a dark, dark country where faith and fiber of the nation has literally been stripped of decency, of godliness, of righteousness, of honesty. It's all gone. And what Daniel does is he does three things while he's living for the king in a kingdom but forgot who the king is. Daniel does three things that I think he teaches us to do. The first thing he does is he puts God first. I mean, think about it. If we're going to put God first, we've got to ask ourselves a question. What would it be like if we were to live a God-centered life? What if you were to have a God-centered calendar? What if you had a God-centered checkbook? What if you had a God-centered marriage? What if the relationship with your kids was God-centered? What if you're a teacher in your classroom, it was God-centered? If you're a banker, God-centered. If you're a realtor, God-centered. If you're an attorney, God-centered. I could go on and on and on. What might happen if we taught kids at the ball field with a God-centric style? What if we were to care for our neighbors in a God-centric style? David and Daniel, I mean, Daniel put God first. Look with me in verse 19 of Daniel chapter two. So, so Daniel is in this God-forsaken space, but he's asked to give an answer only God can give. And he says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven Daniel said, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. Daniel is praying. He's saying, God, you are the only one that can do this. I'm going to let you do what only you can do. 
You see, putting God first and having a God-centered life is the ability to put God at the front of every decision. It's the ability to put God in front of every relationship. It's the ability to put God in front of family. It is the ability to put God in front of, and you fill in the blank. Being God-centered means I'm willing to say, God, there is no other God but you. There is no other way but you. There is no other hope but you. And in you and you alone, I'm trusting my today and my tomorrow. And in doing so, we get out of that the ability to say, I know tomorrow is greater than today because I have hope in the presence of Christ. You see, God looked down on us and saw our life in such a mess and said, I have the fix for that. And he sends his son, the Lord Jesus, to die shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of all our selfishness and all of our sin. And in doing so, gives us the opportunity to become a part of the family of God. And so God says, I long for you to do this. I've given you my most treasured treasure that you might have life. So Daniel, knowing that he's got to go to the king and what he delivers could easily take his life, puts God first. Now let's just stop and say, in a, in a day where your calendar is already full, your checkbook is already committed, your kids are over, over scheduled, you and your husband or you and your wife or you and your friends, everything in life is absolutely slammed with urgency. Where do you find time to put God first? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? And you think, I don't believe God makes this difficult, but I do believe it's a challenge because without the challenge, it doesn't change us. But we get to make a choice. I think one of the most beautiful attributes of God is that he doesn't look at you and say, you know what, I'm gonna tie some strings to him and play with him like a doll. God says, I'm going to let you, you're my creation. I made you from the dust and the dirt of the ground. I made you, I formed you, I knew you before you were coming out of your mother's womb. I knew you before you were there. I have plans for you, plans that you might prosper from. And that God says, and I'm going to let you pick me. Daniel had a choice. Daniel could have just got on a television show and said, man, have I, have I got the answers. As a matter of fact, I've got so many answers, you ought to pay me 10 bucks a piece to give you an answer. Daniel said, no, wait a minute, I'm gonna put God ahead of this. So God, tell me what I need to do. See, I really believe that, and this, I'm struggling with this in my own life, by the way, because I, I suffer from terminal certainty. Don't some of you? I mean, the ability to stop and think, well, surely I'm right. I mean, everybody been, that, you been there? I mean, some of you are just really spiritual. I know you don't deal with that. Your pastor does. It's like, well, surely that's the right answer, right? Without stopping to think, is it possible that I might be wrong? I mean, let's look at it this way. Do you know everything there is to know about life? I mean, anybody here know everything about everything? Okay, so we're, we're kind of on the same, same footing. So let's just say, do you know half of everything, there, of all known knowledge, let's just say we'll give us the benefit of the doubt, we know half of everything there is to know about everything. So it's possible in the half we don't know that we might be wrong. And this is where it comes to a God who proves to us over and over and over again that you can choose him. And when we choose him, we're choosing truth, we're choosing the way, we're choosing life. And so you look at that and you say, well, what does this look like? Well, Daniel's saying, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to trust the presence and the power of God. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school or going to vacation Bible school, you probably heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den. We'll get there in a week or two. And when we get there, you know what we're going to realize? Daniel has a habit of falling and trusting on God. 
So I guess what I would say to you is this, what do I do this week, Chuck, to be able to start putting God first? Three second rule. So before you answer the email, before you answer somebody who's angered you, before you jump into that argument, before you buy that thing, before you make that decision, three seconds. In three seconds, you can do this. God, I need you to go before me. Let me know. Three seconds. Now, I promise you, you got three seconds. I'm not asking for an hour in the morning for you to read your Bible and weep and, and, and you know, tear your clothes and put charcoal and ashes on you. I'm simply saying three seconds. I, I promise you, three seconds before you make any of those decisions, God, I need to put you before me. I need your way. I need to trust you. That's a God-centered life. Before you write that check, before you commit that credit card, before you do whatever you're going to do, God, is this what you'd have me to do? I want to put you first in my life. I can't tell you how many times had I just stopped for three seconds and said, God, okay, I want to put you first. Would I do this? How much heartache I would solve. I would solve. How many, how many mistakes I might would have kept from just three seconds. God, I want to put you in front of this decision. And you know, it's interesting. People come to my office regularly and they say, Pastor Chuck, I don't know what God wants me to do. More often than not, they really do. They really do. I mean, all you've got to do is look at the character of God that we find over and over again through scriptures. The character of God, there are several things that are really black and white. We know exactly what to do, what not to do. And Daniel says, I want you to model, I'm going to show you what happens when you put God first. Now, if you think about it, if we're to put God first, everything is God-centric. It's the realization that all things, everywhere you go, the psalmist David made this statement over and over and over again, that wherever I go, there you are. I cannot hide from you, there you are. Where do I look for help? There is the Lord, I look there. The reason this is so important is that God doesn't have to bless us. Let me say that again, God doesn't have to bless us. I don't know how many times I've put a plan together, I've, I've put a structure together, I've written something, I've done something, and then I've come behind it and said, Lord, would you please bless this? And I think every time I get those out of order, instead of saying, Lord, I want to leave, live and leave and be a part of a blessable life, if I would look at it from that perspective, what I have written, what I would have done, would have looked differently. Let me ask you a question. You ever, you ever said something you wish you could pull back? You ever made a statement, you give anything, you reel that bad boy back in? I mean, listen, with this mouth, it happens all the time. I mean, seriously, all the time. This mouth has great capacity for stupid. I'll promise you. And I can't tell you, every time that it comes out of my mouth, you know what I realize? I let my mouth get ahead of the Spirit of God. And I didn't stop for three seconds. God-centered decision. God-centered decision statement, God-focused life. What if we were to put God first? But now Daniel does something else too. He does something pretty important. He doesn't move ahead without permission. Now look what happens and go up a little bit in, in verse 16 in chapter two of the book of Daniel. It says, so Daniel went in and requested some time with the king in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So in other words, all the rest of the guys, they're about to be torn limb from limb because they can't tell it. Daniel goes to ask permission, not just of the king, but from the Lord that he might have the ability to do this. Daniel doesn't just pray though. Did you hear what he did? He went back to his boys and said, would you come pray with me? Now, this is a big deal, all right? Now, please don't miss this. If you and your friends 
Think, think of your circle of four or five buddies, four or five ladies, who, who's your friends, who's the four or five people you hang out with. That's who you do all your stuff with, all right? Let me ask you a question. Are they the kind of people that when you look at them and say, would you join me in praying for this, that they actually will? Or are they the kind of folks that you wouldn't say pray for me because you're gonna show your double life because you're living a spiritual life one place here on Sunday morning and with your friends, you're a totally different person. I mean, I, I think what happens in our prayer life is oftentimes we literally don't pray because we don't know what it feels like to have an answered prayer. You know why we don't have answered prayer? We don't pray. National averages said, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you spent less than two minutes last week praying for something other than your meal. And we wonder why America's in the mess she's in. I would argue America's not going to get better with just another president. It will get better when daddies start praying and lead their family to pray. It will get better when we're with circles of friends and we lead them to pray. It will get better when women gather together and they pray. It will get better when families pray. It will get better when couples go to bed together and they pray. It will get better when we become a people of prayer. But now listen, I appreciate the clap. But if you're willing to clap, you ought to be willing to pray. Daniel went to his boys and said, guys, I need you to come join me. Daniel's decision was driven by a God first and nothing but God. He said, I'm gonna put God first. He said, I'm not gonna do anything without permission. And then he says, I'm gonna obey regardless of the cost. Man, this is so good. Look down all the way down in verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which is never going to be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Daniel said, I'm gonna put God first. I'm not gonna do anything without permission. Then he says, you know what I'm gonna do? I don't care what the cost, I'm going to obey. I'm going to go before the king and I'm gonna tell him even even though it's not what he wants to hear, I'm going to speak the truth of God. And listen, my friend, if we want a better world, it is time for folks who claim to be the followers of Jesus to speak truth. It is time to live truth. It is time to believe and act like the Lord Jesus came for you, died for you, rose for you, and has a home for you. And we shouldn't back up and walk away from anything knowing we can put God first, we can get permission from God, and we can obey him. And in that, God's richest, most rewarded blessings says they're all yours. He gives Daniel that dream. And Daniel says, listen, all the kingdoms, everything is gonna fail. Nothing's gonna last but God in his kingdom. Nothing other than the kingdom of God will last. You say, well, Chuck, that's not true. Look at us here in America. Babylonians didn't last. Romans didn't last. Hitler didn't last. And my friend, this kingdom we live in won't last either. But there is a kingdom of which you can be a part of and you can sit at the head table. And that kingdom sounds like a God who is a mighty, rushing river who brings the water of life to you and says come on come sit at my table come accept my son come receive my power come know my presence and when we do we will live like it we will act like it we will vote like it we'll believe like it and we will worship like it thanks for listening to the sugar hill church podcast 
For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.